Good evening, Salt Company. Uh, my name is Ryan Hamby. I have the privilege and the job of leading the Salt Company over in the magical land of Iowa City. We're really glad you guys are tuning in with us tonight from wherever you are. And I am here for one purpose only. Uh, I have to preach the good news tonight. You are here for one purpose only. It's not to be entertained or to get your church fixed for the week, but it's because you need to hear good news. In a time like this, like Saul said, there is nothing that we need more than God's word to come to us when we are desperate for it. I find it fascinating that we're singing songs like, like praising a God who feels pain with us. I think tonight I want us to like get a, like a wider like array of how beautiful that that God is. I want tonight to tune in a little closer than maybe we normally would. C.S. Lewis once said this, that pain insists upon being intended to, attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our consciences, but shouts to us in our pains. It, pain, it is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. We are all coming together on kind of equal ground, confused, angry, hurt, a little scared. We're in pain and we need to tune in a little extra closer to hear if God would be trying to tell us something or reveal something about himself to us that we did not know before. Tonight, what we need from his word is a shocking amount of comfort. And so I'm glad you're here. I am honored and thankful to be here to bring the word of God with you because sometimes it just feels right. Like you don't want anything else except for somebody to come and like put their arm around you and say, hey man, I feel what you feel. Hey, I know this is hard, but it's going to be all right. And I remember one time in college, a long time ago, probably like, I don't know, five years ago or something, just like being a, a, a sophomore in college and having one of those moments where like, your best friends put their arms around you and they said, hey, I know what you feel. And granted, this story, you're allowed to laugh at this, so don't feel bad about this. I laugh at this story, but I fell head over heels for this girl at this swing dancing party that we had, okay? You've been there, right? Okay, and I was just all about this. I was stoked. I was planning all these dates. I was uh, kind of, you know, going there in my mind. And I finally mustered enough uh, energy and like confidence, I guess, to go, you know, see if she would go on it. And she did. It was like a miracle. I was like, like walking around in like a living music video or rom-com. Like there was music playing all like behind me. I couldn't stop smiling for weeks. The dates were perfect. Everything was perfect. I just kept falling harder and faster and harder and faster. And I thought, you know, a couple weeks in, now's the time. Now, finally, maybe we can make this official. You know, maybe we can put a stamp on this and get it on Facebook and really make it official. And so I'm driving her home one night after a nice evening together and I'm nervous. My heart's pounding out of my chest. And I remember opening up my mouth to tell her, I think we should make this official. And she cut me off and said, I just don't see how this is gonna work. And my heart just like sunk. And I think I started like nervous laughing in the moment because I was like so taken back by it. But I dropped her off, I drove home in silence, eyes wide, just like, what in the world is going on? As my heart, I was trying to like put it back together, right? Little 19 year old version of me. And I get home and what I found at my house was the most shocking comfort. I go downstairs, everybody said, how was it? And they could tell on my face it wasn't good. And I look around, I noticed everybody else wasn't good either. And I learned in that moment, three other people in that room that night 
had all been dumped or rejected in the last like 24 to 48 hours. And they put their arms around me and we opened a gallon of ice cream. And we said, this is the tub of sorrows. Let's be there for each other. I think Dalton was one of those people who was there, the guy singing and playing earlier. Uh, it was a night to remember, a night where you can look back on brotherhood and be like, you know what, it does feel good to just have somebody empathize with you once in a while. And I hope tonight that we can all do that. Like we are all in a common zone here of fear, anger, confusion. In a time when we thought like, hey, at least we're all gonna be unified through this virus. There's like more tension in the air now than there was even three months ago. And it is funny to hear a story about arrogant college guys getting humbled. Very funny, don't get me wrong. But there is a common heartbreak tonight that's not funny that we need to address. So I'm asking you, what comfort is there? Especially to you people who believe in God. You've been coming to Saul Company for a while now. What comfort is there in your God? How would you answer somebody on the streets who asks you that question? Why do bad things happen to good people? That's not some like philosophical, hypothetical question more. It's real. It's outside your door. Do you have an answer? I'm not coming tonight because I have all the answers for every problem in the world, but I'm here to point us to God's word and to a God who has something better than answers. God's word has a comfort, a, sub, a surprising, a shocking comfort that all the confused, angry, hopeless, and hurting people in the world need tonight. And so last week, if you tuned in, we turned to the book of Job, right? It's like spelled like job, like pretty much right in the middle of your Bible in the Old Testament, a really, really big book. And Job was like the Old Testament poster boy of suffering and going through hardships, okay? You remember what happened? Satan, the enemy in the story, went to God on his throne, the king, and said, God, I know you think Job is all that. You think he's a pretty good guy, but I bet you, God, that if we took away all of your blessings from him, he would turn and curse you. That he doesn't actually love you. This Job only loves you, God, because of what you give him. So God says, have at it. With Satan on his leash, he says, go for it. You can afflict, you can't kill him, but you can afflict him and try and turn his life upside down and we will see what happens to this Job. And so this man who was rich, he was wealthy, he was prospering. He had big family and tons of like cattle and camels and sheep and all that stuff, had a great wife, had great friends. His life was turned upside down. Satan began to afflict him. And a man who uh, like loved people greatly lost everyone he loved. As natural disaster just came wrecking through their homes. A man who had to see enemies come and murder his own children. A man who saw just a whole lifelong of hard work blown away in the wind men whose very own friends were turning their backs on him and salting his wounds with all their theology and saying, you must have done something wrong to deserve this God. I know God calls you righteous, but we know better. You need to repent. And even his most close companion, the wife he loves, did not wish to be counted with him anymore. Job rightly, as most of us would do, we're asking the big question of why. Why in the world would this be happening to me as he scrapes his sores, the boils on his skin, as he scrapes the boils and the sores with shards of broken pots that he finds on the ground? And so here we are, 38 chapters later into this story, and God shows up and answers Job. Job's been crying out, 
for a very long time and getting nothing but silence, but here comes a shocking comfort from the voice of God. And tonight we also, in our time, are hopefully going to find this shocking comfort very timely. And the way we're gonna get there, guys, is that we're gonna find a few things. We're gonna find first in this story that God is in charge. That God is in charge. Secondly, that he's in charge even in our pain. And finally, that that is very, very good news. And so let me start by showing in this story that God is in charge. Here, God breaks the silence and he decides to answer Job from the whirlwind. And so open up your Bibles to Job chapter 38 because God has something very loud, very emphatic and very profound to say to us tonight. And don't worry, I'm not gonna read all four chapters to you right now, but I'm just gonna like kind of pick and choose some of my favorites. And this is what God says. The Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Okay, so the sound of rushing wind is coming. Like it sounds like a tornado is coming to earth, but God's voice comes out. And this is what he says. Who is this that obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Get ready to answer me like a man. When I question you, you will inform me. Okay, that's not a good place to start. That is a terrifying place. If you have been calling out God for chapters, really confused and God just shows you up and says, hey, time to act like a man, get ready. So Job's probably scared. And God continues, where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding who fixed its dimensions. Certainly you know who stretched a measuring line across it, what supports its foundations or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Who enclosed the sea behind doors when it burst from the womb and I made the clouds its garment and total darkness its blanket. When I determined its boundaries and put its bars and doors in place, when I declared, you may come this far, but no farther, your proud waves stop here. God just opens up by showing Job the world and saying, you don't know a lick about how this was created, but this world answers to me and me alone. He goes on in verse 31. He says, can you fasten the chains of the Pleiades or loosen the belt of Orion talking about the stars? Can you bring out the constellations in their season and lead the bear and her cubs? Do you know the laws of heaven? Can you impose its authority on earth? Can you command the clouds so that a flood of water covers you? Can you send out lightning bolts and they go? Do, you, do they report to you saying, here we are? God is looking to the sky saying, Job, you don't even know what space is and I am king over that. Verse 39, can you hunt prey for a lioness or satisfy the appetite of young lions? When they crouch in their dens and lie in wait within their lairs, who provides the raven's food when its young cry out to God and wander about for a lack of food? God is not just big and he's not just grand over all the cosmos and showing Job, look how majestic he is. But he's saying, look how intricate and creative I am as well. This is the God of the Bible. And this is how he chose to introduce himself to Job, that the most grand cosmos, I am all powerful God and I am in charge of them. You think that this situation, Job, this suffering has gone beyond my control. No, Satan, you forget, is on my leash to the smallest intricacies. I am the tender God and I am still in charge. You think I've missed your tears. No, 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 I have captured every single one of them in bottles, don't get me wrong. To the most routine rhythms, I am the faithful God and I am still in charge. You think the sun and the moon are accidents, that their repetition is dull. 
And purely scientific, no, I delight to see them rise and set every day and every night into the smallest, most artistic brushstrokes in this world. I am the creative God and I am in charge. And the question is, why is God in charge? Because he created everything. And even now, he holds all things together. And so Joe Minus, so why are they the way they are? If you are so in control and if you are, why are bad things still happening? And how does God answer him? What answer does God uh, kneel down and give to Job? Well, he doesn't give an answer, does he? <laughs> he doesn't give an answer. He doesn't answer directly. He actually gives something better. Instead of giving an explanation, he gives himself. I think Jordan might've said this last week. He says, like, God doesn't lean and give an explanation here, but he actually gives a revelation that with all of Job's questions being thrown up in the sky, he doesn't drop a textbook and say, here you go. But better, he gives himself. God knows getting reasons and explanations is just like giving Job more broken pots to scratch his itch. But getting God is exactly what he needed. And tonight, getting God is exactly what we need wherever we are. Job didn't need to know the plan. He needed to know the one who was in charge of the plan. He didn't need explanation of what was around him, but he needed a new, fresh vision of the God who was above him. Maybe you've heard of the story of Isaiah, right? The prophet in the Old Testament, another big book in the Old Testament where Isaiah, this prophet, he's a really good guy, but his country is like going through a tough time. Like the king had died. A lot of uncertainty was in the air. And God doesn't send him a textbook or a game plan, a playbook saying, all right, here you go. This is what your ministry needs to look like to a broken and hurting world. No, he does something else. He gives him what is commonly called a God quake. I think Tim Keller coined that term, God quake. Maybe you heard it at the conference if you were with us with Salt Company before uh, this wild season, you got to go to that giant party in Des Moines we call the Salt Conference. Jake Eats preached on this and he called it a God quake. What is a God quake? Well, it's when God shows up. Plain and simple, Isaiah was standing there and he had a vision of the Lord. And it wasn't just his body that was shaking when God showed up. It was the foundations of everything. God's might, his glory, his weight just came crashing onto the scene. And Isaiah was absolutely stunned. He needed his eyes completely wide open to see how wonderful and big and powerful and in charge this God is if he was ever going to make a difference in this world. He didn't need an explanation. He also needed a revelation. And this is what Job needed in his turmoil, not answers, but God to show up himself. Because this God is not actually content with explanations. He wants to show something far better. And no matter what darkness surrounds us tonight, no matter what happens when you close your computer screen tonight and you walk out your door and turn on your news cycle and feel the anxiety and the weight of all of that, we need a better vertical vision of this God first and foremost. Because suffering is real, pain is at hand. And with Job, we are crying out for help. Job is crying out for comfort and God doesn't defend himself saying, oh, I'm sorry, Job, I'm sorry for making you go through all this. No, he reveals himself and why? Because he is in charge, not only in the good times, but also in the pain. Look at Isaiah 42, or sorry, Job 42, one through six. This is what happens 
after God speaks. Job replies to that thundering voice in the sky. And he said this, I know that you, God, I know that you can do anything. And no plan of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance? Like who is challenging me? Surely I spoke about things I did not understand. Things too wondrous for me to know. Things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen now and I will speak. When I question, you will inform me. I heard reports about you, Job says to God. I heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I reject my words and I am sorry for them. I am dust and ashes. We need to see that God is not just in charge tonight, but he is in charge even in the pain. What you need to see that this is the only appropriate response for somebody who has a collision with this God. When God reveals himself to man, this is the only appropriate response that you are far too wonderfully uh, like big, like you are far too wonderfully beautiful, you are far too wonderfully powerful and in charge for me to just simply understand that, for me to explain it. Oh, I thought these satanic woes were overwhelming, that these pangs of the devil were going to end me. But I know now, I know now that I have a vision that your victory is actually bigger and better than my pain. I have heard of you, yes, but I'm afraid I was pretty much like a blind man until now, until my eyes have been ripped open and I've seen you. Oh, now I saw you as a bully in the sky at one point and here you are in front of me, delighting me. I thought you were a bully in the sky who just wanted to cause pain. And here I am, alive and cared for. I now see that this pain was actually just ripping my eyes open wider to see you more clearly. Elizabeth Elliot uh, is, was a woman who was very well acquainted with pain and suffering in her life. You might have heard of one of her husbands, Jim Elliot, who just like right away after going on the mission field together, he was killed by the people he was trying to preach Jesus to. And then her next husband died as well. And then she was on a third husband, then she died. Her life was full of anguish. And in her book, uh, Suffering is Never for Nothing, she just drops this amazing line that says, the deepest things that I have learned in my own life have come from the deepest suffering. And out of the deepest waters and the hottest fires have come the deepest things that I know about God. It seems tradition with God's people that pain comes regularly before seeing his true wonder. And when God, was, when, when God opened Job's eyes to see who he was clearly, he, see a God, he saw a God whose command of the universe was not bound simply to how Job felt. That he saw a God whose goodness wasn't bound to his own understanding, but it was above it. He saw a God whose glory and majesty made him realize how small he actually was. But he also saw a God who was gentle enough and kind enough to not crush him, but to kneel down and answer him. If this God is actually Lord and in charge over the vastest cosmos and the most intricate beauties of this world, I am in awe that he would kneel down and answer me in my weakness. Could it actually be that this Lord, this God is in charge of my suffering? But now we're brought to a crossroads. If you say you believe that, if you believe in the God of this Bible who says that he is in charge, which means he is even in charge of our suffering. It brings us to a crossroads. 
that begs to ask the question, is this God still good? If God led Job to suffering and he does that to me, doesn't that make him kind of sick? Is God still good? And I'm excited to tell you the answer is emphatically yes. No matter what we see around us, God is still on his throne completely in charge. Even in the stub toes all the way to the cancer diagnosis, God is on his throne and he has a plan to not waste our pain. Let me tell you, this is incredibly, very wonderful good news. As this story ends, God restores Job's fortunes. It says that he doubled everything he had. All of his kids died, he had more children. His friends came from the farthest ends to bless him and to give him gifts and to celebrate his new health, wealth, and prosperity. Job's fortunes have been restored. So let me just address the obvious skepticism we might have towards the story. Is this story telling me that whatever pain I experience, God actually plans to double my riches that I lost? Right, like, are you telling me that if I actually pass the test of suffering that God has put me through, then my life will be better? No, okay, that's not the main point of the story. That's not actually the main point because the comfort that you need is not that you're gonna get like 6,000 more camels after this hard season is over. I don't know what that equivalates to like American dollars, but it doesn't matter. Like that's not the point of the story. God might choose to bring you to seasons of prosperity, absolutely. But that's not the main point. The main point is hidden in the opening scene of the story that we read last week. Like you remember when Job was uh, like down on earth and there's like this cosmic, like heavenly throne room conversation between Satan and God and Satan has a big idea. And his big idea was simple. God, I want to prove to you that the people who say they love you do not love you. I wanna prove that Job is not faithful to you. I'm gonna hurt him and I'm gonna prove it to you. But God had a bigger idea. God had a better idea. And God's big idea was not just to test Job and see if he was faithful to him. His idea was to say, yes, I'm actually gonna prove to Job that I am faithful to him. You see, like this had less to do with Job passing a test and simply proving himself to God. This was God proving that even in the darkest times, he is faithful. That even when we don't pass the test of life perfectly, he remains bountifully good to us. This God is faithful and that means more than if you love him, your life is going to be easy and prosperous. It means that even in suffering and confusion and hardship, God will always be near you. He will always be with you. It means that even in the suffering, no matter where you are tonight, you can trust this God. And how do we know this is true? Because sometimes we look up to the sky, right? We say, God, give me a moment like Job. Like speak to me from the whirlwind. Like, where are you, God? And we get nothing. But friend, I'm telling you tonight, you don't need to look to the skies for an answer from God. You don't need to be disheartened by the silence that you hear or don't hear from the skies. Tonight, you need to look to the cross where this same God bled and died on a piece of wood. God's nearness to you can be seen no better place in him suffering as a man on Calvary, that God did not find it content to stay up in the clouds in the whirlwind, but decided to come down into the ashes where Job was and where we are. God proves his faithfulness to us that even when we were not righteous, he still is. And he has fantastic plans for us. 
He took the death we deserved so that we could have eternal life with him, free of suffering, free of confusion, but full of wonder, full of joy, forever seeing and being with this God. I said earlier from that kind of stupid story, like it feels good just to have somebody put their arm around you, right? It feels good to suffer alongside a brother or sister. And Jesus did that, right? He feels our pain because this God is intimately near. But guess what? Suffering with somebody is cool, absolutely. But resurrecting with somebody is so much better. It wasn't the end of God's plan out of his love for us to just die on a cross. But three days later, in his power and glory and majesty, rise again, defeating death forever. His plan for us is that even when we suffer, even when we suffer with this Jesus, it should be a guarantee that we will be resurrected with him. When Jesus busts out of the grave, our shocking comfort that we need tonight was actually revealed. Our shocking comfort was revealed in the empty tomb and it said this, that if God can make meaning from the cross, the most drastically gruesome unjust scene in history, God dying for sinners. If God can make meaning out of the cross, he can surely bring meaning out of our suffering right now. So the question leaving tonight, guys, is this. Do you trust this God? Do you know this God? Even in your pain, this is very good news that God is in charge, even if it hurts. And that is very good news. He is not distant, he is near, and he is calling you to himself tonight. So would you pray with me? God, what a humbling time to be alive. Like Saul said, God, I'm just so um, struck with silence that I feel like it's on purpose for me that I just want to listen. And so God, whether we're like on our computer screen or here together, and like, would we just like raise our eyes, like raise our hands and worship and just say, God, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say, but we trust you. We trust that you have a plan even in our suffering because if you could make meaning out of the cross, how could you not also bring meaning out of my suffering, God? Thank you so much that you love us, that you've decided not to abandon us or forsake us, but you are here right now. Let us turn away from our sin, embrace you and sing with reckless abandon how much you have done for us, God.